Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, we have a lot to get into tonight, starting with um, a number of hires on the coaching staff, uh, all that were made um, official. I think we can safely say that Florida may have the smartest coaching staff in the SEC, given that the first guy we're going to talk about went to Vassar College, uh, Jonathan Saffer, and... Um, you know, we all know Todd Golden coached at Columbia. So just giant brains on the Florida sidelines. Yeah, I like that a lot. And and the one thing I like so much about Jonathan Sapphire and him coming to Florida is that he's not in an assistant coaching role. And again, I don't say that as any disrespect to Jonathan Sapphire. But one of the things that, of course, I've been complaining about for, for years now is like I, I'm seeing all these other uh, staffs in the SEC or not even the SEC, just the high major level programs that have a lot less budget than Florida um, that are like pulling assistant coaches from other staffs um, in non-coaching positions to just get more minds on your sideline. Um, I would say the biggest example of this was Texas again, big budget, um, but like they have guys who were sitting head coaches that were um, went from head coaches at like good jobs, like UT Arlington and are in like non-assistant coaching roles. So when it was kind of announced pretty quickly or not announced, but it's kind of known that Jonathan Sapphire would be coming over. I said, that's awesome. I definitely want him. Um, but again, a Florida, you know, I kind of was hoping that Florida would, act like a big budget program and have him in a role that was not an assistant assistant coach role uh just so you could get i get like another assistant coach on the staff like that's the thing here you now have someone in in sapphire who has assistant coaching um experience that is in you know quote unquote not a coaching role but i mean (laughs) you know he has those abilities so uh just by doing that by putting him in a non-coaching role get it just gives you another opportunity to have uh, another intelligent person on the sideline Yeah, and I mean, it's a role that's modified from one that already existed. So we'll get to a new role that they've created, which is the first expansion of support staff on this podcast. But um, I think a little bit different just because of how much uh, Golden and Sapphire kind of uh, trust one another. You know, they, they he was his director of basketball operations at Columbia under Kyle Smith. Um, he went and then joined, uh, the Dons out in San Francisco, had the same job that he's going to have at Florida for three years. And then was on the bench as an assistant coach this past season. Um, he's kind of got like that. I mean, I guess that it's become cliche now to call it that like Eric Spolstra background, but like was just cutting video and a student manager. Uh, Matt McCall is another example, so we don't have to just use Spo, the people who burst through the industry uh, that route, as opposed to being a former D1 player. Um, you know, so brings a wealth of experience in various roles. But again, I think is a hire that puts Florida on the, the front end of this sort of analytics-driven world of modern basketball that, that the SEC is still somewhat playing catch-up with. Yeah, this is one of those things where like, I, I think it's not going to be too far in the future when people are looking at like, wow, how, why did it take until 2022 for Florida to have someone in an analytics role? Like, I, I think it's going to be so common. It's going to be as common as 
I don't know what it's going to be as common as having a video coordinator. Um, I would say it's more important than having a video coordinator. And that's something that, you know, almost every team in the country has. So especially just looking at like, what is analytics touch? Okay. Well, in-game strategy um, and we can, you know, go into a thousand reasons why, uh, but it's also recruiting. It's also scheduling and it's all these parts where Florida was not getting advantages and, that's why we have a podcast here to kind of call out the things that we thought they were not getting advantages with. So to think about going from having no advantages in that area and also just knowing, you know, the members that were on the staff, they were not analytically driven people. So this isn't a situation where it's like, oh, they didn't have someone in an analytics role, but here's Jonathan Sapphire in an assistant coaching role or um, someone like that to, to handle the analytics. It was like, no, just like that was not an adequately analytically driven staff and it was not something that was particularly you know looked upon and we saw that when you know neil you were talking about scheduling the other podcasts and um we could probably talk about it in terms of some of these recruiting i'll call them misses but or whatever we want to say miss evaluations or to some whatever extent you want to say that so to just see like how analytics touches everything and can touch everything and that florida was didn't have someone kind of satisfying that role. Um, I think it's pretty crazy. I'm super happy they have someone in that role. And I'm very excited for both their in-game strategy and their recruiting and their scheduling, among other things, to now have Jonathan Sapphire's fingerprints on it. Yep. All uh, really excellent points by uh, Eric. Uh, we know that Golden has his hands all over analytics as well. So, um you know, we, we talked about that, I think, on the two podcasts that we started with, the Todd Golden era. Uh, so those two guys are, are kind of, um, you know, Chip and Dale, whatever. I don't know why I just picked Chip and Dale. I guess it's the first duo that came to my head that you can tell I've got uh, Disney-obsessed daughters. Um, but, yeah, so you know that that's going to be a big part of it. But what Florida also did um, since we last recorded, really, like, within – 10 hours of our podcast dropping, which has been like a trend recently, Eric, like we record something and then 10, 12 hours later, some news breaks, uh, but they bring in Kevin Hoveday, um, who was the offensive coordinator and associate head coach at Richmond, um, who just beat a team that I think a good amount of bracket. I think they were in the top 10. I, I saw on ESPN brackets, final four picks, um, Knocked off Iowa in the first round, Richmond did. Uh, was competitive in the second round. Uh, won the A-10 tournament, and the A-10 was pretty good, as it turned out, at the top. Um, so uh, your thoughts on Florida's hire of Kevin Obde, who joins the staff as uh, assistant coach, and, and by all accounts will be Florida's offensive coordinator. Yeah, I, I mean, I would – I would think he'd be the offensive coordinator to someone who sat in that role at San Francisco while, while Golden was there. Um, and someone who went to Richmond where um, I guess most relevant to our conversation, or at least what I'm most happy about is that like Richmond is a team that um, I think runs some of the best offense in the country. And this is, I've been saying this long before Florida hired Hubda as a, as an assistant coach. So this is not, you know, revisionist history. Now that Florida has their guy. Like this is someone that you can see as soon as people were like, Oh, are you going to like go on Twitter and like, clip a bunch of video of, of Richmond's offense. And I'm like, yeah, I already have for the last couple of years because I love it. And uh, also because, you know, they were a team that was running the modernized Princeton stuff a lot better than Florida when Florida 
kind of started running that and I was looking for teams that ran something similar. Um, and now in terms of teams that run kind of five out basketball, like Florida was trying to do um, when I was looking at who are the best five out teams, it's like, well, Richmond's there for sure. So it's kind of interesting too, because we kind of have seen Florida go through the two styles ish that Richmond runs, but they just ran it so, so much better. And every time I was always talking about how I always thought Florida was kind of stuck on page one or two of the playbook. Um, it was because I was watching teams like Richmond who looked like they had, you know, completed the textbook. So um, it, I, I'm really excited from that kind of standpoint. And it'll, it also kind of like another thing kind of to note is that when he was at San Francisco, they ran like really fast, really modernized Princeton. And then he got hired by Richmond who was already running Princeton and kind of continued to do that kind of Princeton five out stuff. So I think it's kind of fair to make a, you know, make somewhat of an educated guess of how the Gators are going to play. And uh, just that, that would, that would be my suspicion. I guess we'll see for sure. And uh, again, it'll matter, you know, what, what players Florida has on the roster for sure. But um, seeing that he was played a particular style at San Francisco, was probably headhunted for his ability to play within that system to join in what they're already doing at Richmond. I think we can guess what we're doing at Florida. So um, that's, that's just a, but I've got to say like to get someone who's going to be the offensive coordinator that was just at a team that I think runs some of the best offense in the country. I mean, that's uh, that makes me pretty happy. Yeah. I mean, you have to run really good offense to beat Iowa in the NCAA tournament or otherwise. And so, you know, that can sell people alone, but a month before that upset, there were Eric Fawcett tweets admiring the uh, Richmond offense, whether it was the Princeton, um, some of the Princeton stuff or, or their five out stuff. Uh, so diverse in that respect, they had to win four games um, to win the A-10 tournament, by the way. And and they beat VCU, Dayton and Davidson in succession, which really um, – you know, very well could have been three NCAA tournament teams in another year uh, and and ended up being one NCAA tournament team and a couple teams that were in the quarterfinals and then the round of 16 in the NIT. So, um, you know, obviously uh, some, some impressive wins there. Lost a really tight game with St. Bonaventure and Dayton, but ended up winning like seven of their last 10, mostly because they figured out how to score late with a team that, that all has defended pretty well. You know, when Chris Mooney brought him in, uh, Chris Mooney started the season kind of on the hot seat at Richmond, I think. And, um, you know, so Avde was a guy that they needed to come in and, and do the job and, and obviously did getting them to the, to the round of 32. So I think it's, it's, it's exciting. Um, and what I'll say is getting back to a point that you made on a prior pod, Eric, uh, Florida's Princeton stuff. We always, I think, I think we over and over again, especially the Kerry Blackshear year, we're just begging them for begging them to get more complex with some of these series, and and Hub Day does that. Yeah. Well, the other thing that, like, going back to what I was tweeting about out about Richmond, like the other thing that just like killed me about Florida's offense this last year was like they they lacked so many fundamental like one of the things i pointed over with richmond that is like so simple but so effective and there's a reason that so many teams do it is like if you're playing five out every time there's a pick and pop you have a 45 cut on the other end like there's stuff like that or you know driving baseline filling into spots on drive like there's just like like again so much of the like fundamentals were were missing from florida running the offense which again like to me, like when it was just like, okay, well, Florida is running a very basic version of it, but they don't have the fundamentals down by any stretch of the imagination and there's zero complexity. Like that just showed me that like 
clearly there was never an understanding of what they were trying to run. Um, so then I look at a team like Richmond who their fundamentals are like so sound. And again, the most basic one being this 45 cut that follows uh pick and pop that they would get like twice a game, even though anyone who runs five out would know it was coming. It's just so, so hard to guard like little things like that. And then you have the counters like it. So it's like, as soon as teams kind of get used to the base, because everyone's going to look at, or not everyone, some of the stereotypes with Princeton are like, Oh, it's predictable because it's, uh, offense that has been ran for a long time and it's really structured, but they ran a lot of counters out of it. So like, again, just like the parallels from what Florida was struggling with to what Richmond did really well. Um, just outstanding. Um, they had a just incredible passer the last five years. I think, I think he was a COVID super senior in Grant Golden. He was like college basketball, Nikola Jokic, like just a, such an incredible passer, which of course made that offense look a lot better. So that's going to be something the Gators will kind of need to, to make happen. Um, they'll need a, they'll need a quarterback, a big man who can kind of make that run a little bit, but, uh, even then, like, I, I feel like they'll, they'll find their guy that they'll, they'll make it work. And, uh, yeah, those are, those are the things why, like, I look at what Florida ran versus how Richmond ran something similar and, and way better. Those are kind of the parallels I saw. Yeah. And hope day has a reputation for working with guards and anybody that saw Jamari Muyea play in the NCAA tournament knows how much he improved. So I think, um, that's just another example of, of some of the things that he can do on the development in San Francisco's was never outside of the top 100 in Kimpom offense uh, under golden, even though golden's a defensive specialist. Um, and we talked about the COVID year where um, the Dons were 22 and 12 and, and maybe, maybe NCAA tournament bound. Um, it was going to be a two or three bid WCC and, um, I, if you actually go back and look at some of the cache aid bracketologies, uh, they were right there in that first four out category. So probably not, but probably, probably certainly NIT bound, uh, under Hope Day in the first year of the golden era. So that is, um, the second hire that we wanted to mention. And I guess before we get to, I think the best hire, I wanted to get into the support staff extension hire, which was hiring, um, and bringing in Torian Green to be the director of player development, which is a new role. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty interesting. And again, that's that's one of those ones where it's like, why? Just crazy to me that Florida didn't already have someone in that role. Uh, and again, I think there's some people that will be like, oh, you know, it's bringing a former player. Um, that that's so they might think he's not super qualified. But you know, he spent time with uh, with the NBA and in, in, with the Chicago Bulls. And again, like. There is, I, I kind of mentioned it um, uh, in the past talking with Florida hire, hiring someone who's a skills trainer for NBA players. It's like, there's way too much NBA, like money in the NBA for people to mess around when it comes to player development. There's like no one really riding the coattails in the NBA. Like anyone who's on an NBA staff is, is very, very good at what they do. So uh, if you have any questions about Torian Green's, you know, actually, like his ability to to do player development. I, I don't know. Like it's just that you, you just don't have those guys kicking around the NBA too much money and too much money involved in that league. Everyone who's in those roles are excellent. So, um, but while I want to say that it, you also don't want to take away from the fact that, yeah, he was a very successful player who knows what things were like when, when things were humming from a basketball standpoint in Florida, um, someone that's going to excite boosters, someone who's going to have connections all over the state. Um, and again, it's not like he's going to be, you know, recruiting quote unquote, it's not going to be out on the road, but those connections always help. So again, you're just getting 
immense value from a position like like to go from like no one in that role from Florida to now someone who can probably do that role extremely well and bring in a bunch of connections and kind of clout around the state. Uh, just a bit big time move, I think. Yeah, I mean, look, 14 years in professional basketball, uh, two years in the NBA on a two way contract um, with Portland, who drafted him, um, either drafted him or signed him as a free agent. I forget. Um, and then the Denver Nuggets, uh, I believe he was on the Knicks for like five days as well. I don't know if he claims that. Um, <laughs> and then he, uh, he had a lot of, of success, although it kind of bounced around a lot yeah, in Europe, but played a, played a ton um, in Europe. And look, if you're going to play 12 years in Europe, you can play basketball. Um, just, you don't, it's hard to stay in any professional league for that length of time. Um, so yeah, fortune, your pro career comes back and uh, is brought in. Um, and I guess some people had knocked it a little because it was with Billy Donovan, but as Eric said, um, Billy's not going to hire anybody for an NBA job with that much money in his career at stake to that. He doesn't think is capable of fulfilling the role. And really like, if you think about, the year the Bulls were having until the Alonzo Ball stuff. I mean, they were certainly and and still may be the most competitive Chicago Bulls team in years. Um, when it when all is said and done, uh, you know, I'm not saying that Torian Green deserves any magical credit for that, uh, obviously, but you know, just to be a part of that uh, is a wonderful experience. And I think when you look at the fact that he's been in the NBA, he's had the development role with the bulls. He's also spent a lot of time in Europe. And then you give him this development role. Torian Green's going to be able to talk to young men and say, this is what it takes to be a pro. And I think that's really what that job is ultimately, because um, as Eric has pointed out pretty consistently on the podcast, uh, because of the new rules and contact rules, a lot of development occurs on a player's own initiative. Um, and that's where a guy like Torian Green comes in. What can you be working on? How can you be getting better on your own so that when we do get to work you out, we can focus on these things. Absolutely have to maximize those time. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of individual, um, like it's a lot of work on each player's kind of, I'll say profile to give them a kind of structured plan of, of, of how to get better. So again, I have no idea what the kind of, plan like that was before the Gators had someone in that role. Um, but given all the, uh, all the stuff these assistant coaches had to do and, and that Mike White had to do, I, I just, I, I don't know how much detail could really be put into something like that. So um, wonderful hire. I'm glad to see extra positions being, being built um, in this organization. Um, I feel that's like, that's pretty huge. And then what the guy also did love too is like, um, I don't know if anyone kind of, listens to the field of 68 podcasts or watches any of their kind of shows streaming at night, but uh, they had a whole bunch of stuff during the final four in, uh, uh, in new Orleans. Wow. Um, and anyways, uh, they had Todd golden on and uh, he was really excited about a lot of things, but he was just really excited to announce that he had tire- hired Torian green. And uh, yeah. I really like that <laughs> as well to just be like that. He's like to kind of see that enthusiasm and how much, like it certainly wasn't like someone else twisting his leg to like hire this former player it was clear that like this was something he thought of something he was super excited about and uh you know he kind of said it and then everyone else on the panel was like whoa there's like is this out there whatever he's like well i'm announcing it now like 
now it's out there. Um, so <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. And, and, and I mean, it was kicking around. Um, there's a couple people on Gator Country who, like, well before I heard about it, had had that scoop. But anyways, Golden was just like, couldn't be more excited to uh, to announce the hire. So um, I have to assume that that means they get along just uh, just great. So, uh, yeah, another another stellar hire, I think. Yeah, no, I think it's fantastic. I think you already mentioned, obviously, it has ties to the to the sort of house and um, era of Florida basketball. Uh, he won the SEC tournament three times. Uh, obviously, was the starting point guard for two national championship teams. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that Golden was so excited about that and like played in college at the time that Torian Green did. So like that was the starting point guard of the national champions. Uh, and Todd Golden at St. Mary's would have been well aware of that because when St. Mary's was waiting on their eight seed in 2007, I guarantee you when they saw Pittsburgh's or not Pittsburgh, whoever Florida played in the second round pop up there instead of like St. Mary's in the eight, nine game, it was a big sigh of relief for them. Um, I believe it was Purdue uh, that Florida played in the second round that, that year. Um, but in, in any event, um, you know, obviously has those ties, knows what it's like to make it in the pros, knows what it's like when Florida basketball is humming. Um, and then the last thing is because recruiting is uh, back on campuses and this age of Zoom and virtual visits is over, they're going to meet the director of player development on visits. Um, so they'll meet Torian Green, who's a national champion, who also grew up in Fort Lauderdale. Um, and has a ton of connections to uh, the state um, and coaches around the state because of his family and his family's involvement in player development for over 20 years. It's what Sidney Green has done most of his career as either an associate head coach. Um, he's either been a player development guy or a big man coach. Um, so I think when you put it all together, it's a really fantastic hire. And again, I don't even think it's the best hire that Florida made because I am all aboard uh, the Carlin Hartman trade. And that was the hire for Florida as the associate head coach. We thought that Corey McRae was going to fill that role. And I say we, I meant me. I was almost convinced that he would have been the associate head coach given all his experience. And instead uh, they bring in Carlin Hartman, who not only coached um, with Todd Golden and probably taught him a lot, uh, and Kyle Smith at Columbia, but also spent five years under Hall of Famer Lon Kruger uh, rebuilding the Oklahoma program into national problems. I just think, like, this was another one of the hires, Eric, where when you gauge the reaction of, like, the basketball world, they were like, whoa, like, Florida's not messing around. Well, one of the things too with with Todd Golden getting hired, and again, this gets very much into the business of, of college basketball, which um, some people enjoy, some people don't at all. Um, but uh, Todd Golden does have one of the most powerful agents um, that represents him, um, who's got like a quite a host, uh, quite a roster of both head coaches and and assistant coaches, mm -hmm. and he's got mm -hmm. a whole lot of pull around the country. So, like, I, I wasn't awfully concerned with with his ability to, to be able to get some big names. And I think we saw with like, okay, get an sec dog and, and then now get someone who is in like his real, like his, he's popped up in, you know, a number of head coaching searches the last couple of years. Um, I don't know how long he'll be at Florida because that, 
he'll he might take that any time now. But um, someone who's been on some some good staffs and uh, of course worked with Alon Kruger, who we you know we all love not just personally but also from uh, um, a basketball standpoint. And uh, I, I just think like someone too, who's just known as like a very much like a, a CEO, like someone who knows the workings of, of basketball, of college basketball. And, and if anyone had any concerns about Todd Golden's age and like him just kind of having the experience of, of, of how things, you know, work around the country with college basketball, like he is the guy who can, uh, uh, who brings that experience kind of brings that CEO mindset. Um, and I think that that'll also help, you know, Golden's transition to to the SEC, just having someone someone like that with so much experience and also just like the personality and, and skill set towards that. And also even just to see as like Florida builds out uh, more and more kind of support staff and, and stuff like that, having, you know, again, this kind of CEO mindset here um, alongside Golden, I, I think it's pretty valuable. So um, a really good, a really good hire, I think for sure. And uh, I, again, I, I, I kind of lied there. I, I said that I had no questions about, you know, Todd Golden's ability to hire a staff because of his agent. I, I can't say I was that confident. Um, you know, I said, I still had some questions for sure, but I also knew that he was represented by such a powerful agent. And uh, Golden is someone that there, there's also a reason that, you know, not, not saying it's the only reason, but there's a reason that Golden was in on so many of these coaching uh, job searches. It's partially because of the agent. So clearly right. there's a very powerful agent who really likes Todd Golden. And usually those guys are going to be supported with big time assistance. So that obviously happened. I'll be interested for some numbers to come out. Um, we were all kind of yeah, disappointed yeah. with how much money was being um, spent, particularly on, on Pastrana, but even we could talk, uh, you know, Darius Nichols and Jordan Mincy back in the day. Um, I'm hoping these guys are getting, like seeing Florida create new roles, um, seeing Florida make some good hires. I hope these guys are getting compensated well. And I hope that Florida is, yeah, really flexing their muscle as the the athletic program they should be. Yeah, no, I think all that is fantastic. Hartman is not necessarily a guy that uh, he's a relationship guy, um, you know, and, and I look, there's a lot of value to that. Uh, when you talked about who, if you talk to former players or families, um, about who Florida's staff member was that connected with players, whether it was Eric Pastrana or before him, Jordan Mincy, the guy that if the players have an issue, that's who they go to. They want to talk to him first. Um, and we saw Todd Golden say at his press conference, you know, kind of mentioning like some of the music he listened to, like he wants to be that too, but it's going to be Carlin Hartman. That's always been his role. Um, yeah. He's also, uh, super involved in, in a lot of really cool stuff off the court with players. Uh, he's a member of Coaches Coalition for Progress, um, which uh, is involved in all sorts of social justice initiatives that a lot of players really care about, from um, prison reform initiatives to anti-poverty initiatives um, to you know, partnerships with police for things like midnight basketball so that kids can play. Uh, so kids that don't necessarily have a parent that's home all the time can play basketball. That's one of their big initiatives. And, and I think that's really awesome. Um, something I was involved in when I was down in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, that was all through the Black Coaches Alliance and Coaches Coalition for Progress that Todd Golden's a part of too. So um, a lot of that stuff gets into relationship building. And then the other thing that he is, is just a phenomenal recruiter. And I mentioned that last, because again, it's a black assistant coach and people get worried about that. He pigeonholed in that, but 
Now look, look, anytime you can convince Kadeem Latin, who is Texas basketball royalty, uh, for those who don't know, Kadeem's Latin grandfather is David Latin, who, in addition to being uh, first team All American, um, was a member of the Texas Western basketball team, now UTEP, that won the national title. The best basketball movie, other than Hoosiers, Glory Road, uh, is about them. You should watch it. David Latin was just like a beast among children. Um, <laughs> and uh, Kadeem Latin could also arguably be called a beast among children. The Big 12's all-time leading shot blocker. Uh, that's pretty ridiculous. He was in a recruiting class when um, Hartman was uh, recruiting coordinator at Oklahoma. That class also included the son of Larry Bird and Grizzly Adams, uh, Brady Manick, who many of you uh, may have uh, gotten very familiar with in the NCAA tournament. So um, just a fantastic recruiter relationship builder. I mean, I, I really can't gush enough about, about the hire. And, and to Eric's point, like, I thought they'd put together a pretty good staff, but I mean, I think Jeff Goodman said it best. Like, this is kind of a monster staff. Yeah, I would say, I would say, like, it's definitely like, like, again, I, I guess I don't want to give it an A plus because that would be like, hey, go and get, you know, Kentucky's best recruiter and, you know, wh whatever you want to like that. Uh, right, you can right, always right. have, you can always have better eyes, but I'll, I'll give it an A for sure. Like, I, I'm happy with every single hire. Um, there's not one that I would be, you know, there, there's, there's no kind of, certainly no red flags, but no, like, you know, yellow flags. There's nothing I'm super concerned with. Um, I'm just super happy that everything's gone. And uh, uh, so far I would say that uh, golden doing pretty well to, to win the off season. The first thing you always look at with the staff hire, particularly someone going from a, a mid major to a high major is, is staff hires. Um, and we're really happy with all of them. And uh, again, to be really happy with like the non countable coaching hires, like that's pretty huge as well. Like you could say like, Florida might have the best, you know, analytics, like in, in that analytics role, Florida might have the best guy in the country at that um, from a player development, you know, who, who knows exactly, but plucking a guy from the NBA, you probably have, you, you know, an upper level player development guy. Like, so even looking at those kinds of roles um, pretty big. So very good, Todd Golden. Very good. Yeah. We had a listener question about whether um, Hartman works with a specific position and he's, He's worked with uh, guards for the most part, including at UNLV, um, but also forwards. Um, and I know Eric is, or at least at one point in time, was relatively familiar with the UNLV program. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence that that uh, Hartman ended up out there when, when Lon Kruger retired with Kevin Kruger getting the job. But Bryce Hamilton was just first team all Mountain West. And I thought uh, a really spectacular player that, um, was kind of the reason that they won 18 games this year. Uh, you know, not a ton of talent on that UNLV team when I watched them, but uh, he, he was marvelous. And so, you know, he's this guy that just teams get better whenever he's on staff. So, again, to Eric's point, all very good. And um, that's just kind of my final thoughts on, on Todd Golden rounding out the staff. Oh, just kidding. Longtime strength and conditioning coach Preston Green. Uh, in the Eric Fawcett victory uh, is on his way out. Um, and Victor Lopez, who might, some could argue, take a, a more modern uh, approach to being a basketball strength and conditioning coach, 
uh, we'll join the staff from San Francisco. Yeah, I mean, hard for me to say I know anything um, about him. I think his Instagram slash Twitter handle of Weights of Valor is uh, is pretty sick. I, I think that that branding is, is, is pretty <laughs> awesome. I, I hope he keeps that and doesn't have to go like all like, oh, I'm in a high major program now. I'm just going to go like at my full name or something professional. Um, Weights of Valor is is awesome. I hope he sells merch. Um, I, I think it's just great. <laughs> or something um, professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so again, I mean, in terms of what do I really know about him, um, I, I do not know much. But I will say, given that Todd Golden is very innovative and now he sees a lot of things, I'd have to imagine that he is not someone who's going to be, you know, stuck in the, 1980s with his approach to you know strength and conditioning and and again like again i don't want to sound like i'm taking some some victory lap with with preston green and i don't even know what happened with preston green i don't know if he left on his own volition if that was something that um that todd golden wanted to bring in his his guy i I, i'm unsure but uh you know i've i i I haven't talked about it a ton i've hinted at it and neil has of course hinted at it but I've had sources um, that kind of started when I was writing for NBA Canada, writing about the NBA draft and getting some access to um, some scouts, um, some guys in front office of NBA teams who kind of alerted me to like, here's someone in, in, in Florida strength and conditioning staff with Preston Green. Everyone around Florida is like, oh, unquestionably, we have the best strength and conditioning coach in the country, full stop. And that's kind of like everyone kind of like ascribed to that. And that's what I thought, because that's what people said but these nba guys did not agree with that whatsoever and uh it was largely due to the fact that they said if you came to like a floor like saw how florida did strength and conditioning and then went to like a big 10 school which again big 10 not known as for their innovation they were like you know big 10 looks light years ahead and just talking about how and a lot of it was kind of related to the fact that at Florida, it was just bulk, 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 strength, strength, strength. And if you look kind of anywhere else in the country, it's like athleticism, flexibility, balance. And I thought it was really interesting. And that was year, that was three or four years ago when I first started to hear that and then kind of started to, you know, dig in a little bit and just start to notice things. And it's just like, oh man, Florida, for a team that wants to really defend, here's all these guys that can't flip their hips and have no side to side mobility. Um, but hey, they're really, you know, their, their upper body's really getting swole and those pictures in the summer are looking great. Um, and then I think one of the biggest examples this year would be Brandon McKissick, who go Google Brandon McKissick, UMKC, and go look at what he looked like last year to this year. And you honestly, like, you might not recognize him depending on the picture you see. He looks so different now he's at Florida. And, and a lot right. of it was the bulk of his upper body. So two things, I mean, one all that speed and lateral quickness that he had that had him as a defensive player of the year in his conference was no longer really there. I thought his lateral quickness was not great at Florida. And then the other thing too, is if you look at some of his jump shots, when he was a capable three point shooter, his form had to completely change. Like go look at his jump shots from last year to this year, his form had to completely change because he had so much muscle. And, and I mean, we can start looking at other kind of players up and down Florida's roster the last couple of years. And it's just like, man, Scotty Lewis, why can Scotty Lewis, like, why is he getting cooked by mediocre perimeter players off the dribble? And why does he not have the mobility? Why is like Noah Locke just getting stronger and stronger in his upper body, but he still can't defend. Like I, I do think, you know, Gary Blackshear, Kerry Blackshear looked significantly less mobile at Florida than he did at Virginia Tech. So again, am I putting That's all true. of these on Preston Green? No, like I, I, I'm, 
I don't want to say that, but it certainly is fishy to me, kind of going back to what I was hearing from some of these NBA guys about how far behind Florida's kind of strength and conditioning was. Um, and then to kind of look up, up and down these players and say like the big problems with Florida's players are like, or I shouldn't say the big problems. Things we have noticed are, wow, we really thought this person would be a better defender than they are. Anthony Drugi, for example. Oh, he's explosive as all get out, but no, like his functional athleticism, it's been missing. Like we, we you can go to all kinds of different players, different position groups. You do, Neil, do you remember when Andrew Nemhart, um, after being at Florida for a couple, he was, he was, you know, throwing down tomahawks with Team Canada a couple months at Florida. And do you remember that missed dunk he had the first couple weeks into the season where I don't yeah, think he got the yeah. ball to the rim on a breakaway? Like there, there's things like that where it's just like, it's, it's definitely curious to me. So, I can't claim to be a strength and conditioning expert. I, I can't claim to know for sure, but uh, that is my entire story of why I had some skepticism regarding um, Preston Green. I have no idea how much of it is totally true. Just airing out my thoughts here, but uh, um, obviously someone that was very respected and, and people really liked. A lot of players really liked him too, so I'm sure he'll um, have no problem getting another job and um, will be very su successful. But um, the fact of the matter is Florida has a new guy. And I think that knowing how Golden views kind of everything else, I'd have to imagine he views strength and conditioning in a fairly modern, innovative way. And I do hope that's the case. And I hope we see guys that are staying fluid, staying mobile um, with great balance and functional athleticism. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, no, I mean, so a couple things. I mean, you're, you're always going to, you don't want to read too deeply into the press releases. So Florida's press release one of the things Victor Lopez says was that he approaches strength and conditioning from a multifaceted um, view that there's, there's functionality of movement and then that there is strength and conditioning. And so I thought that was kind of interesting um, that he mentioned functionality of movement in his like statement. Uh, so it kind of piqued my interest and, and I didn't go like full Malik Grady in the transfer portal rabbit hole, but I did go down a little rabbit hole and, and figure out that, um, Victor Lopez started out as a collegiate um, women's lacrosse and women's tennis trainer in sports where like functional and lateral movement is everything. Um, and so that kind of grounded his belief that you had to have both. Uh, and then prior to that, he was a, a non-commissioned officer in the United States Marine Corps for four years um, where he was essentially a strength and conditioning uh, coach for elite Marine units, um, which I think is a little redundant when you think of what the U S Marines are like, it's kind of like the elite fighting force in the U S military, but nonetheless, that was his job. And I'm sure, but it wasn't all just like, let's get jacked. Uh, I'm sure that there was a lot of functionality of movement and that's actually his kinesiology background. Whereas, uh, Preston Green's background was, um, in nutrition and, and that aspect of it, we have one uh, here with a kinesiology background who started in, in sports where lateral movement and quickness are kind of prioritized over, over how strong you are. So kind of a different approach. Um, you could call it modern if you want. I mean, again, um, you know, Preston Green, Kansas tried to lure him uh, years ago uh, and he turned down Bill Self and his bag men. So, you know, obviously he had quite a bit of uh, respect in the industry and I'm sure he'll land on his feet, but Florida is making a change. Uh, so that is for now um, the Todd Golden coaching staff, pretty exciting stuff. We do want to talk about 
the upperclassmen that are eligible to return. So that list includes um, Myron Jones, Colin Castleton, uh, Tyree Appleby, um, Anthony Deruji, basically everybody but Brandon McKissick and and Flan Fleming. Uh, let's just do it that way. Uh, Tyree Appleby hits the portal. Any thoughts on on Appleby's decision to to look for somewhere else to go as a super senior? I mean, I don't question it for sure. Just given the uncertainty around Florida's roster right now, if you're someone like Tyree Appleby, I I totally understand it. But I do, uh, I'm disappointed by it just because I I really like Tyree Appleby, and I think that uh, it would have been awesome if he were to stay around to get a veteran point guard like that. Um, that's pretty huge. So I'll, I'll be really interested if he, you know, does in fact leave Florida, which I do think that's going to be the case. I'll be pretty interested what his landing spot will be. Um, because again, I don't think he'll fit in all systems, but I also think he could be utilized way, way better than he did at Florida. Um, especially with his ability to, uh, yeah, to shoot off the dribble to, uh, to kind of create and get to the rim out of pick and roll. Um, I, I think that there could be some very, very good fits for him, but, uh, can totally see why just, you know, looking at, looking at Florida's roster for someone who wants to spend one more year, like his, his timeline of one more year probably doesn't, you know, align with Florida, who is going to be in some form of, we'll call it a retooling year. So um, I get it. I really wish him well. I was a big fan of his. And uh, like we've said so many times on the podcast, I will always respect his ability to, uh, with the exception of of one unfortunate game here where uh, Florida needed it and he was uh, had to, you know, be sat on the bench in a big moment because he wasn't playing well. Um, he almost always played his very best basketball in the biggest games of the season. Um, and uh, I, I respect that a lot. Like you look at the fact that the shot he hits against Ohio state, the way he went full Steph Curry to beat Auburn. Like if not for Tyree Appleby, the gate, like, you know, the Gators were like the Gators ended the season really not that close to the NCAA tournament. When you think of it, when you really think of it um, and uh, they would have been, you know, nowhere in the same stratosphere, if not for two incredible individual performances from Tyree Appleby. So uh, he will always have a fan in me. There's no doubt. Yeah, me too. Um, I thought Tyree Appleby always played really hard. Um, I thought roster construction issues really placed a lot of demands on Tyree that weren't necessarily fair to him or created sort of an unreasonable reaction to some of his plays in the fan base because Tyree was in fact forced to do some things constantly that he shouldn't have been forced to do constantly, but they didn't have a roster constructed to do where that could be avoided. Um, They needed Tyree Appleby to be constantly the, the primary creator and playmaker. And I don't think, um, I think he would have been better as another option in that role. Um, Even a change of pace type player, like, the Chris Chioza to, to Casey's hit to Casey Hill that the elite eight team had, it would have really been a lethal type of situation. Um, had they been able to keep Andrew Nimhard on campus, uh, it's kind of a salivating thought to have both of those guys um, in kind of the way that they could have complimented each other, I think, because some of Andrew's weaknesses are some of Tyree's strengths. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I, I thought he played, and and as Eric said, he he played really well in big games. Um, I don't necessarily agree with the feast or famine uh, narrative. I guess I think some of it was, some of the famine was stuff that he was forced to do because of the way the roster was constructed. And I think if he finds a good spot to land, he's going to impact winning. 
Yeah, and I, I think too, roster construction, like you said, is that that's uh, I really agree with you there. And even just a style of play thing, like when Florida's offense was poor, um, and he's out there with Myron Jones and Anthony Deruji on the wings. You know who's going to have to take the heave at the end of the shot clock? I mean, it was Tyree Appleby. So I, I know some people really thought he was terrible with turnovers, and you know he did struggle with turnovers. I'll say, but a lot of those turnovers too were like, okay, this offensive possession um, completely broke down. He's got the ball with four seconds, and he's out there with Brandon McKissick, Myron Jones, and Anthony Deruji. So like a combined, you know, twenty nine percent from three points. Uh, all you know spacing out around him um i know that's more roster construction like you said but also just again like i think florida's offensive struggles really ended up with him in late shot clock situations where things didn't always go great because late shot clock situations don't go well for many players and uh that made some fans i you know upset with him in ways that i don't think were particularly fair um kind of in a similar way to even andrew nemhart as well when offense wasn't going particularly well people are like oh well it's the point guard because that's what some people right. think it's like you know it's the quarterback you know so uh, a little bit of, uh, I, I do think he took, uh, you know, more criticism than, than he deserved. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, he, he's going to be someone too, that like, if he goes to the right program, he's going to be one of the most fun players in the country to watch. So, uh, I hope that happens for him and I look forward to it. Yeah. Uh, the second guy, Anthony Derushi declares for the NBA draft. I don't think much of a surprise there. Um, got married, uh, super athletic, kind of like a guy that, I could see getting a G league contract um, quite honestly, uh, just because of his athleticism. Um, I'm, I know Anthony's smart uh, off the court. He, I mean, he graduated with honors um, and is a wonderful human being. I think he, and speaking of the uh, coaches coalition for change was one of the students involved with the student side of that organization, just incredible human. Um, I don't know if his basketball IQ is super high uh, after watching him for a couple of years. Um, and I think some of that will be something he has to adjust to um, in the G League or in Europe. But I can understand uh, him leaving because I think he will get paid to play basketball next year somewhere. Yeah, he's going to go to Portsmouth Invitational for uh, a good event for a lot of seniors who aren't like kind of the NBA draft combine type. So uh, that's a good event. He'll test off the charts there. Uh, like you said, I think he'll be on a, on a G League roster. Um, and again, I also think like his explosiveness is extreme. He was lacking kind of the functional athleticism. I think that'll kind of get dealt with. And like you said, I don't think he was a particularly um, high IQ player offensively. Um, but uh I, again, you just, like get in a get in a better off. Like again, he's I I think he struggled offensively. He's also been in some not very good offensive situations over the last two years. You know, like which is for a player who, if you don't, if you for a player who doesn't like excel when it comes to basketball IQ or like excel with offensive instincts, going into an offensive system that isn't very good is not going to help him. So I, I think that um, yeah, he gets gets in some better offensive situations to look better. I, I think just kind of you know un unlocking his athleticism to be a better on-ball defender will be big. So uh, he, he, it could really go a lot of different ways. Like he's someone who that I could see, like he ends up being so much better than he ever was at Florida. And we're all like, well, we wish that that was kind of harnessed. And then there's also part of me that's, you know, there's also part of me that's like, um, yeah, you could see it just, you know, maybe not working out because of his, uh, just the way he doesn't, you know, seem to see the game particularly easily. But like, uh, man, we always like, we always thought he used his like stroke looked better than his three-point percentage ended up being. We all thought he was, so much more 
we all we all know he's explosive it just wasn't always functional but like the building blocks are there so uh he could definitely put it all together for sure yep so that leaves us with uh myron jones colin castleton well let's just start with myron jones um so myron jones could come back uh he would have to have if he does come back um well look i'll guarantee two things if he comes back one Florida will run better stuff to get him open um, and get him comfortable. Uh, two, I don't know how, you know, I think you have to reestablish some confidence at some point um, with Myron too. It just wasn't there for him. And when you have the kind of drop off he had from a percentage standpoint, um, you know, that can go one of two ways. It can either be like, Hey, that was a one-off and, and he comes back and returns to the 40% three-point shooter he was in the Big Ten. It wasn't like he was doing that in the Summit League, Eric. Uh, <laughs> or um, it's a Brett Nelson situation where you're a second-team All-American as a sophomore, uh, you're a third-team All-American as a freshman, and you basically single-handedly beat a great Duke team in the Sweet 16, and then your senior year you shoot like 28% from three. Now you're still an All-SEC defensive player, but, you know, that Florida team was never going to have a huge ceiling if Nelson was going to play like that. I do think if Byron Jones comes back, Florida's going to need him to make buckets. He will be one I'm really interested to see what happens because, like, coming off what he did at Florida, like, if he were if he were to leave, I'd be interested what his kind of landing spot would be. Um, there are teams that I think could use him a little better. Maybe he's like, hey, I was looking a whole, you know, the athleticism difference between me and uh, the other guys was looking a lot different in the Big Ten than it was in the SEC. Like, maybe he's looking to uh, to get to a league there um, where he fits in a little bit more from a frame athleticism kind of standpoint. Um, but one thing, too, that, like, people always need to remember and like, Hey, I love stats as much as the next guy, but one problem you are always going to have with college stats, particularly single season is that the sample size is so small. And even, you know, a 30 game college sample size with a 30 second shot clock, like he, he really could have been just on like one hot, like one, like you see, you see hot, like hot streaks or cold streaks essentially lasting that long in the NBA all the time, but you just don't see it because in their 48 minute game with so with an 82 game season with a 24 second clock, like, yes, guys will have 80 shots in a row where they hit 20 of them, but it just kind of comes out in the wash because they, uh, because the, the sample is so high. So, so some people think like, Oh, Myron Jones is broken. And again, maybe his, his confidence is hurt. Um, but there's, still a chance that that 40% three point shooter is, is, you know, is, is definitely there and, and still within him and what he had that was good for two years could return. But uh, again, he is one of the, it is one of those situations where like, yeah, if he's not shooting the ball, he's just not bringing you value in other ways. So like, again, there's a lot of fans that were kind of tweeting that were like, Oh, like no way we want him back. Like we're done with him. I, I think that's pretty <laughs> foolish. I would happily take him back again. If you're banking on him to be a starter, that could be problematic. It also could be, hey, maybe he's still the 15-point-per-game guy that he was at Penn State. That would be a huge – but it would be a huge gamble for sure. But, like, I think a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. And if you've got someone who's kind of proven that, like, he can compete at the high major level and be pretty good, you definitely take that guy back. And uh, if he becomes your seventh or eighth guy, kind of like he turned out for Florida, that's still pretty good. Like, and that's the other thing, too. If Florida was 
better, like if Florida's starters were better, bringing in Myron Jones as the second or third guy off the bench would have felt amazing. It was just right. the fact that no, there was a lot of guys that were disappointing this year, and he was just kind of in that group of disappointing players. If, yeah, like I could see a lot of situations where Myron Jones even being the same player as last year, but if Florida starters are better, people would be very happy with that player. It was just kind of, he got lumped in with a bunch of guys that were disappointing and he was disappointing. I'm not trying to take that away, but I can just see a pathway to, if he wants to come back to Florida, I think they should absolutely take him. Um, definitely look for some different stuff and and other guys that can start or compete for starting roles and, and see what happens. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my take on Jones. I mean, that's a good take. And I, th- I also, th- I would add that I think some of the disappointment also came from the fact that he was the, the power six transfer, right? Like the rest of these guys, Summit League Player of the Year, Horizon League Player, Defensive Player of the Year, Big South Defensive Player of the Year, but all like mid-major guys. And then you bring in Myron Jones and you say, oh, this guy shot 40% from deep in, in the Big Ten, man. I mean, like he's just going to come in and be buckets. And it, it wasn't that way. So, um, again, I think so much of it was schematic. And then I think it got to a confidence. It, it became a confidence issue um at least for a little while uh, credit myron for like continuing to shoot through it uh he didn't do like the cave on allen thing from a couple years ago where he just became kind of trigger shy and and any of that none of that went down um but the other thing to make it about him if you can get to a position where he's a seventh or eighth man you don't feel as as bad about him uh defensively right because it's his minutes are reduced and you don't have to worry about that big difference we saw with him defending in the Big Ten versus defending in the SEC. Well, there's also the times where he had to handle the basketball because Florida didn't have enough ball handlers on the roster. And yes, yeah. he had some pretty tough moments turning the ball over. But so, yeah, like uh, is kind of an unfortunate uh, theme. Um, roster construction is- issues, schematic issues, not using him properly. Um, when you've got a kind of gadget player like Myron Jones, who was like an off the screen catch and shoot three point guy, you, you need to be able like like those guys are not easy to utilize. And Florida just didn't really have the staff in place to to fully actualize a guy with a pretty funky skill set. And um, I do think that yeah, when he's like with his mechanics being as as funky as they are like yeah there's he's i think he's you know he's always going to be streaky we talked ever since florida got him about how the fact that he was going to be streaky because he has been streaky all throughout his career at penn state this is a little bit more streaky and uh we saw that cold streak last a lot longer than the hot ones but uh it just also wouldn't shock you at all if he like if he if he did come back to florida and shot 44 percent from three i could believe it because again you've just seen that kind of streakiness from him we saw the the coldness, but we also saw stretches in the big 10 when he was at Penn state where he shot, you know, close to 50% for a couple weeks in a row. So could he stretch that out to a couple months at Florida? There is a chance. So I, I would definitely be interested in, in taking him, And and I just hope people know that I'm not like thinking, Oh, take him, start him, give him 15 shots a game. It's like, no, but if he's willing to, you know, stay at Florida and compete for a role and maybe be in the same role he was this year, uh, it, it could work out well for Florida and him, I think. Yeah, no, I think it would be fine. Um, the last guy we'll talk about, we're going to do a big portal show and probably get Malik Grady on since he's done all the work to to figure all that out. It seems only fair. Um, <laughs> uh, and there were like listener questions about the portal, and I was just like, I'm so done with Twitter right now that I was just like, yeah, check out Malik. Also, he knows more about it than I do right now. Um, 
But Colin Castleton, I think the big question, what will Colin Castleton do? I mean, he hasn't declared for the NBA draft yet, which uh, I guess <laughs> to me, honestly, is kind of surprising. Because um, he could go through the process if he wants. Um, but, you know, there are reports that Todd Golden is is kind of full court press encouraging him to come back. Um, and my thought on it, Eric, keeping in mind that Eric Fawcett is somebody who covers the NBA draft uh, for, you know, money. Um, my thought on it is that, that he's not going to be an NBA draft pick, but Colin Kesselson could be an NBA player. Uh, and there are things that he could do um, by coming back maybe that would help him improve his chances of being an NBA player. Uh, he could also try to do those things professionally, either in Europe or if he could get onto a G league team. Um, but certainly I think <clears throat> at a place he's comfortable at Florida would have a very good chance to do that as well. Yeah. It's an interesting one for sure. I like, I don't, I don't think he would get drafted. Um, and uh, I think the thing you have to look at him and his pro prospects. But like he won't route, next year either, right? No, I, I wouldn't yeah. think so. I mean, the, the difference would be, yes, does he come in and shoot four three-pointers a game and hit 35% of them? Yes, but we kind of expected him to start shooting threes this last year and it didn't happen. And uh, it is one of those things where like, I do think Colin Castlin got a little bit better last year but it wasn't like hugely better. So are you expecting him in, in year five to make some kind of huge step? I, 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 I don't know. Like the, the thing too would be the, the, the thing too would be like it, it for him, it would be all about like, can you shoot the ball or pass it a little bit? And again, I think that would be what Todd golden would be selling him on is like, Hey, look at these Richmond clips. Look at these San Francisco clips. Like our five man is more important than the point guard. You're going to be passing the ball like like Nikola Jokic, like these teams that that run all their stuff through the big man, running dribble handoffs like kind of an NBA style. You're going to have the ball in your hands all the time. You'll be empowered to shoot it. I'm sure they'll tell him, you know, well, we want you shooting a ton. Like we'll see what happens when he actually starts shooting them. But I, I can definitely see the pitch. Like if he comes back knowing how – how Golden's teams and Hubda's teams have ran offense. Like Colin Castleton will unquestionably be the most important player. And it's like, Hey, you know how last season where you were throwing the ball into where you were getting double and triple team because the floor wasn't spaced appropriately. And it wasn't very fun for you. Like that's not going to happen anymore. You're going to have the ball up here where you're going to be the like point guard. Um, and you're going to be able to use that dribbling ability. You're going to be able to show your passing ability that would translate to the NBA. So you could like, I mean, you can make a pretty good argument to why he would be utilized well at Florida, whether that's his like best option, like I, that probably wouldn't be what I would personally ad advise just to be honest. Like if he was my best friend and I was trying to give him the best information possible, I would say like, you've just got to kind of get into an, an NBA system and, and do your next stage of development when you're getting paid. But um, Hey, if he says, Hey, I enjoy life at floor. Like that's a big thing too. I think so many people are like, Oh, what's the best like dollars and cents move for a player's earning potential. I don't know. You can look at it that way, but I also think like, Hey, if you're, if you like going to the university of Florida, you have fun being a student, you love college basketball. Um, then yeah, come back, be the dude. You'll probably like, if you're Colin Castleton, you'll with all due respect, you'll probably never be the best player on your team ever again, but you can go be in one of the best college basketball players in the country, get all the notoriety there, sell some t-shirts, um, be the number one guy for Gator collective 
basketball, anything. Um, he's got a savvy kind of management team. Like, you know, like you, that, that would be the pitch. And I think it's just like, Hey, would you rather do that than go play for Rio Grande Valley and travel to, <laughs> you know, some, some of these G league gyms, like on commercial airfare, like, you know, that's rough. It's just like, that's, that's the thing to just weigh in. So I, I, I think I like I, I would have to be arguing in bad faith to say, oh, it's definitely best for Colin Castleton to come back to Florida from a development standpoint. I I, I can't argue that truthfully in, in, in good faith. I can make an argument why, but that would not be my lean. But hey, if it's one of those things that like if he's happy coming to Florida um, and hey, if he does think he can shoot the ball better then like, yeah, maybe you end up getting guaranteed money. But that'll be an interesting one to watch, because um, like you said, why he hasn't already put his name into the draft. I mean. It's one of those, he's like, you know, why, why wouldn't you, I guess. Yeah. It just seems like there must be some sort of discussion about NIL money that he thinks is comparable to what his G league money would be. And then maybe a kid from Deland, Florida, who's lived in Deland, Florida and Ann Arbor, Michigan and Gainesville. Is it nuts about going to Europe when there's a war? Like, I don't know. I mean, so, you know, if your options are, can I get on a G League team or I've got to go play in Israel or wherever, Turkey, you know, the, the further you get into to, uh, Eastern Europe, the more frightening the situation is right now geopolitically. So, um, you know, I think that's probably one of these weird things that's a factor right now for some of these kids. If they've got the right people talking to them, if you were my kid. You know, I, I would certainly bring that up. I'd say, sure, man, if you can play in Italy or if you can play in Spain, then great. But like, once we get east of there, it gets a little scarier right now. Um, you know, if, if you were my kid, that's what I would say. Uh, and then NIL does change some things. The thing is, Florida's not Kentucky. Florida's not Kansas. Um, so Florida's not North Carolina. It's not a blue blood. Uh, but there is going to be NIL money at Florida. They're, they are a jump man school. That kind of stuff matters quite a bit, honestly. Um, you know, I mean, nobody was happier that Kansas won the national title than Adidas. I promise you that. Um, you know, not even Bill Self and his bag men were as happy as Adidas. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know. I think, I think you, it, it's a harder decision to make right now for a guy like him um, and even harder for somebody like Oscar Sheepway than it would have been three years ago where I think both those guys would have been, I'm off to the NBA, Colin probably the day after the Xavier game declares in a non-NIL world. Well, I do think the other thing that has, uh, that's kind of a factor here is there's a chance he needs a shoulder surgery. That is, I, I'm just I, hearing these things. I think it's out there that he might need a fairly significant shoulder injury. So again, for someone like him, um, who from all accounts did really well at NBA workouts last summer, um, obviously not well enough to get anything kind of guaranteed or anything, but did pretty well. Like he's going to be, have to be someone. And and that's just the, especially the case for centers, like guys who are big men in today's NBA, like you've got to be able to go to these workouts and prove that you can play modern basketball. It's just so much more important than other positions. Um, so for him, he could be like, oh man, I don't think my shoulder is going to be hundred percent for these NBA workouts. Um, so maybe he is, thinks he, he would kind of enter the like G league play and kind of free agency there as kind of damaged goods 
who and 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 that's the thing that you certainly don't want is to start your career not at 100 a lot of times these teams first look at you as like that's going to stick so if you come in and you can't do all that you need to because your shoulder's not right um you you get one you know un, non-guaranteed g-league contract it goes poorly um it's going to be tough to get that second one so that's another thing for him to weigh in um of course i hope he's totally healthy for whatever is next for him because i would if he does go to the the NBA route, I, I hope he's a hundred percent to uh, to be able to do those kind of workouts. But that's another thing to consider, and so uh, hopefully we hear something a little bit more about how his shoulders doing because I think that plays a big role as well. Yep. Nope. Agree with all of that. So uh, that's our show tonight. I'm going to close us off by saying, "Go Gators! Keep attacking closeouts. Don't get lost in the portal." Um, that's Malik Grady's job. Good night, everybody.